Our scripture lesson on this Resurrection Sunday is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Your order of worship says 1 through 18, but it is 1 through 8. And you'll understand how important that is to understand as the sermon unfolds. But listen now to God's Word. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint Him, meaning Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the Word of God for the people of God. God. You may be seated. Let's, Let's pray together. God, it's so good to see so many of these faces sitting in this sanctuary today and I have prayed for many of these these people that are here in their times of crisis and trouble. I've been with them at times of celebration, uh, times of great joy in their lives. I've officiated at their weddings, but I've also been at the graveside for funerals. And we're just thankful today that we can all gather together here today, both longtime folk that have been a part of this church for many decades, as well as those of us that that are new, perhaps here for the first time. And together we can say, Jesus is Lord. He is risen from the dead, and He is Lord. We invite your Holy Spirit to come now and speak to us in these next moments. These are crucial minutes for us today. So come and speak to us. Come and convict us of our sin. Convince us of the truth. And empower us to respond faithfully and obediently to whatever you ask of us. In this we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for that amen, wherever that came from. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I was a little apprehensive in the first service because um, a few of you are aware of the fact that I'm allergic to Easter lilies. So, yeah, so Easter Sunday is not my favorite day when it comes to flowers. Um, But uh, I think it was Megan York asked me after the first service, she says, would you like for me to move the Easter lilies out from the front of the pulpit? And I said, thank you very much, I would. So I don't know where she put them. I'm still like a little uneasy with the uh, communion table this morning and the lilies, but uh, hopefully my voice will hold up and I won't start coughing and sneezing. I want to begin by, by talking about something that deeply impacted my life last year that many of you have been through and perhaps are still grieving and dealing with, and that is the fact that my 81-year-old mother died eight months ago in August of last year. 
And unlike the women here in Mark 16, I have not yet gone back to her grave. Uh, it's four hours away, so it's not an easy thing for me to do. But, but how I wish I could have one more conversation with my mother. Uh, I feel like that we have some unfinished business. For a couple of weeks before her death, she, she called me one day. I was here at the church, and uh, I was on my cell phone with her. And, and literally, I walked laps around the inside of this sanctuary for 45 minutes while talking to her. And she was really anxious that day. She was worried about a family situation. And she kindly told me, her 62-year-old son, to straighten up. Um, mother's always been the peacemaker in the family. And there was a situation that involved other members of the family, and she, she th I think she had a premonition sometime around um, a July that maybe she was not going to live long. And so she called all three of her children, and she gave us some instructions. We're all grown, of course. She gave us instructions on how we were to live our lives. And... Um, this was not unlike the experience that happened to her mother at age 51 when uh, she had a premonition of her own death, did in fact die waiting for heart surgery. And she wrote letters to all of her children, all six of her living children, including my mother, but my mother's letter was never finished. We don't like unfinished business, do we? We like things to get wrapped up, for ends to be tied up. We want our stories to have uh, happy endings, uh, as well as our movies. Uh, you know, I, I never have forgiven the producers of Lost for that final episode. I mean, it just was not satisfying. Uh, hang, these, these endings to things that are incomplete, that, that are left hanging, we, we don't like that. We want our problems solved. We want our conflicts reconciled, right? Uh, we want closure in life, but you know, that is not the way life works. Life is complicated because people are complicated. All of our relationships that, that we have with others, people that we love dearly, that we're committed to, that we live with sometimes every single day can get all messed up and broken and can be filled with a lot of pain and even anger and betrayal. As a pastor, I've been at the bedside of dying persons who have a lot of loose ends, who are estranged from children and, and from grandchildren. Uh, it breaks my heart, but in the past year, there have been a number of situations where loved ones didn't come to the hospital as a mother or a father or a grandparent was dying because there was tension there were unresolved differences. There was bitterness and anger. And I've counseled with couples and individuals more times than I can count in, in the past 36 years as a pastor whose lives were, were filled with a lot of confusion and chaos because of unfinished business. Loose ends dangling everywhere. I'm asking you on this Easter Sunday if you have any unfinished business in your life. I'm going to go see my mother. I'm going to go and stand at her grave on Mother's Day, and I want to have a conversation with her. I believe she'll be able to hear me. She's a part of that communion of saints. Um, if she can't hear me, surely God will convey my message to her. But, but I want to wrap up this loose end, to, to tie it off and, and to move on. 
And I've seen so many situations with, with people, couples whose marriages have become stagnant. They drift apart and now their, their relationship is unraveling. They are dealing with a lot of unfinished business. Maybe it's a dream that, that you've not reached. Uh, perhaps you had a goal uh, for a, a vocation uh, or maybe a degree and you just fell short. You never got that last semester in. Or you feel paralyzed by fear and, and anxiety. You just can't step out in faith and take a risk to do something that perhaps in your heart you know God wants you to do, but you're afraid. A broken heart shattered by loss and betrayal. Uh, mountains of debt, unpaid bills, chronic illness with no hope for a cure, grandchildren and children that are away from the faith, that are not with you here on Easter Sunday. You wish they were, but, but they've, they've turned away from God. They're angry with God. They've been hurt so deeply in life they can't believe in God. We could go on and on. Issues of addiction and, and uh, pornography and, and alcohol. These are things that create a lot of loose ends in our lives. And so you may be wondering as somebody who, who has a lot of these loose ends, if there's any hope that they will ever be tied up. Could they be put away? Is, is there some way, is there some power, some resource available to me that, that could help me move from where I am to a place of greater wholeness and, and peace and joy in my life, so that there's not all this unfinished business troubling my soul day after day. Now this leads to this morning's scripture lesson from the Gospel of Mark. And uh, Mark leaves us with a major loose end. Unlike the other four Gospels, um, his is, is very short and very concise. Matthew has 28 chapters. The Gospel of Luke has 24. Uh, Gospel of John has 21. Mark has only 16 chapters. And his language is sparse. Uh, his sentences are short and to the point. He doesn't tell us about the nativity, about the birth of Jesus. He's just out of the gate, racing from the beginning of his Gospel to, to the cross and the empty tomb. And some scholars have said that his ending surely could not have been his original intent, that it must have been chopped off or lost. I've wondered maybe if he was interrupted <laughs> or if his quill ran out of ink or something and that he just couldn't finish it. But, but it ends with these words, the women fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. It's not the hopeful note of Matthew, Luke, and John, their resurrection accounts. Uh, Mark ends with terror and fear. The women fleeing from the tomb. And I think that's a lot like us some days. <laughs> Rather than come face to face with God, we run from God. We turn away from God because we are troubled deeply by our fear and anxiety. Mark doesn't give us a single appearance of Jesus after the resurrection, unlike the other gospel writers. There's just this unexpected ending that leaves the reader hanging. And, and this makes me wonder if, if this explains why, you know, uh, 
in the centuries that followed the writing of Mark's gospel, in the first and second century, there were, a, there were endings that were written by others and tacked on. If you look at your Bible this afternoon when you get home, you'll find that, that there are verses beyond verse 8 in many translations, but they're always in parentheses or brackets. Sometimes they're in the footnote. And, and scholars will tell us, we know because we have ancient manuscripts in which uh, Mark ends at verse 8, but then there's later manuscripts where someone has made an addition. And it's probably because they're like me. They're thinking, what's going on here? Why have you stopped telling the story so abruptly? Several years ago, as I studied this passage and prepared to preach it on an Easter Sunday in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, I began to ask some questions of, of the text, and, and I thought to myself, well, what if Mark had a reason for leaving his gospel unfinished? What if, what if in Mark's mind, the story of the resurrection really isn't over? The resurrection is not the end of Jesus' ministry. In reality, it is the beginning. What if the resurrection is the start of something that is still at work in the world today? According to my wife Connie, I ought to be the poster child of loose ends. We've been married 43 years, and I still drive her crazy, and I don't mean that in a romantic way, okay? <laughs> she, she is in Portland, Oregon for 10 days, keeping the grandsons so that the son and the daughter-in-law can go to Hawaii for Easter. Yeah, feel sorry for them, don't you? Uh, so Connie's got Lincoln and Ezra yet again. This is her sixth trip over there to watch the boys left me home alone. <laughs> and, uh, and I tell you, I walked through the house yesterday afternoon after I got home uh, from our hour of prayer and running some errands, and I, I looked around at the house and I just thought, I am such a pig. I mean, why can't I pick up after myself when she's gone? I mean, when she's there, when, when, when the uh, neatness police are there, okay, then I'm attentive. I, I keep put things in the dishwasher. I wash, the, clean the kitchen up every morning. First thing when I get up, I pick my clothes up. I had five pairs of shoes sitting throughout the entire house. And that's just in like four days. And so I picked all those up, put them away in the closet. But I just thought to myself, I, I just can't help myself. I, I, am, I am just lacking, as Connie says, a completer gene. It's a DNA thing. And um, some of you may identify with that. But, but as I've lived my life, I've become increasingly okay with that because I know God is not finished working on me. One of my favorite verses comes out of the book of Philippians, which says, uh, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of His return. And I'm thinking, one of these days, it's all going to get tied up. My unfinished business will be completed, and that's when Jesus returns, or I die and go to be with Him, whichever comes first. Taped inside of your bulletin this morning, if you fold out that panel where the sermon notes usually go, there is a multicolored string, and it has three knots in it, which represent the great, three great historic realities of the Christian faith. And the, and the New Testament talks a lot about them. We have sung about them all morning 
in our first service in the Sunday school assembly uh, for this beautiful time of worship uh, with, with the decoration of the old rugged cross with these cut live flowers. Uh, we've done it again now in this service. Throughout the year, we're always singing about the cross and about the resurrection. And this string, and I, by the way, I tied over 1,200 knots in these strings this week, okay? So hold on to this at least for a day or two. But this first knot at the top of the string represents the birth of Jesus, or what we call the incarnation. And that's really the theme of Advent and of Christmas. In Galatians 4.4, Paul says, When the right time came, God sent His Son born of a woman. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul has this magnificent hymn to the incarnation, the coming of God in Christ in human form as a slave, as a servant who surrendered himself to obedience uh, upon a cross. And he says in verse 7, he appeared in human form, even though he was God. And then in his letter to Timothy, in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, he says, Never forget that Jesus Christ was a man born in King David's family and that he was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach, Paul tells Timothy. And then we all know John 1.14, those of us that are at church, uh, in, in, in the season of Advent and Christmas, the Word became flesh. The Son of God incarnate became flesh and dwelt among us. So that's the first knot. The second knot is down the, the string a good bit, and the space between those two knots represents the 33 short-lived years of Jesus here on earth. And that second knot is the crucifixion. Anyone here ever experienced excruciating pain in childbirth, ladies? Yeah, okay. A few hands went up. When my mother gave birth, she just like had a few twinges of pain and we all popped out. One, two, three. It was crazy. So she didn't have a lot of empathy for my wife who was in labor for like 24 hours. But, but the pain of labor can be excruciating. And so can like kidney stones. We had a guy in our church last month that was in and out of the emergency room a half a dozen times with terrible, excruciating pain. He said at one point he wished he could die. It was so bad. He wanted to leave this earth because the pain was so intense. Did you know that that word excruciating comes from the Latin and it means pain out of crucifixion? Interesting how language evolves, isn't it? Pain out of crucifixion is where this word excruciating comes from. Whenever we, we have the Lord's Supper together as a church, we did Friday night at our Good Friday service, we are remembering what Jesus said was absolutely crucial. As a church, we are to remember His death upon the cross. And that word crucial also comes from the Latin. And guess what it means? Cross. Crucial is cross. The suffering of Jesus on the cross is crucial. It is the centerpiece of, of our Christian theology. We talk about redemption from sin, salvation, reconciliation, atonement, sacrifice. 
All these words are ways of thinking about and describing what Jesus did on the cross at Golgotha, Calvary, for you and for me. Paying the penalty for your sin. Suffering the judgment of a holy God. The wrath of God falling upon Him. And in His dying upon that cross provided a way for us to be put right with God, to be in fellowship with God once again. His fallen, wayward children. The third knot is the resurrection. And the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus are rarely spoken of by the early apostles in their preaching and in their writing without being together. They are a set, a pair of historical events. Uh, In fact, if you look in the book of Acts, you see the apostolic preaching of of the disciples, of the apostles, uh, talking about the cross and the crucifixion time after time. In, In Peter's first sermon, the first sermon preached after the empty tomb is found in Acts chapter 2. And it was the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit promised by Jesus in the upper room was poured out upon the church that were waiting in prayer. And this is what Peter said to the crowds by the hundreds and thousands that had gathered in the temple that, that heard him speaking. He said, you nailed Jesus to the cross and murdered him. However, God raised him back to life again. And then Paul in Acts 13 uh, follows this same pattern in his preaching. He says, they took him, meaning Jesus, down from the cross and placed him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. From the dead. But the appeal in, in, in the Scriptures, in the New Testament, to faith, The invitation to faith on the part of the early church was not based on the the baby Jesus, the incarnation, nor was it based on the crucifixion alone, the suffering of Jesus on the cross. The appeal to faith then and today is based on the certain reality that in history, in human history, Christ lived, He died, and He what? rose again. It's because He lives that we can face tomorrow. It's because He lives that that we have assurance, a peace of heart and mind that God in Christ has forgiven us, that He's washed all those, those awful red spots off our soul and has made us white as snow. So how does this resurrection reality get finished in all of us. That's what the loose ends are. If you look at this string, you see that there's, there's some strands of this string that are just hanging loose there. And that's intentional because those strands represent all of us. They represent your life and my life. The unfinished business of our lives. And these are the things that God has addressed in the resurrection as well. And this is, this is really the important part. This is the application of all this today. Um, the loose ends on this string uh, represent uh, what needs to be 
uh, placed uh, under the lordship of Jesus. And, and the loose ends, the unfinished business of this string are the things that need to be brought to Jesus so that the unfinished business of our life can be dealt with by His resurrection power. I believe, I believe that Jesus is here with us today in this room. I believe that Jesus is offering to every one of us hope and healing and salvation and strength. All the deep longings of our heart are met in Him. The Easter story is not over. It is not over. It is still being written in the lives of Jesus' followers. So how do I see this getting finished in people's lives? Um, honestly, I could have people stand up this morning. I could call them out by name because when you've been pastor of a church for 12 years, you've seen a lot of miracles. You've seen the resurrection power of Jesus do a lot of things in people's lives. Those, those women who fled from the tomb in terror and fear, those women did not stay in that place of fear. We know from the testimony of the other Gospels, but especially from the book of Acts, that they and the disciples who became apostles, witnesses for Jesus, were transformed. They turned the world upside down. Civilization was never the same. We went from B.C. before Christ to A.D. in the year of our Lord. All of human civilization keeps time. We reckon time by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and so we, we see in our own day the potential, the possibility of His power being released in lives to change them. I know couples in this church whose marriages have been destroyed by infertility, but, but by the power of the resurrection of forgiveness, the resurrection power of forgiveness, they have been reconciled. And their marriages have been renewed. Uh, I know many women in this church who have come to the brink of despair, who, who have been ready to commit suicide. It, it might shock you how many people in all these years who have called me in a moment of weakness and fear and hopelessness, ready to take their lives. But by the resurrection power of love, they have found a reason to go on to live. I know persons in this church who've been told by a doctor, you've not got but just a few weeks or months to live. Your heart is failing. Uh, you've got uh, an inoperable tumor. But by the power of prayer, those hearts have been made strong. And those tumors, those tumors are gone. They have been healed. I know persons in this church who's, who've lost their jobs. They've lost their retirement, the security of a future that they had looked forward to and for circumstances because of circumstances beyond their control, it's been lost. But because of the resurrection power of faith, they have learned to trust God in not material things and have security that is eternal for their souls. And I know, I know persons in this church who have lost self-control. They, they have become addicted to all kinds of things that have virtually destroyed their lives. But by the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit and with a community of faith and support, they are being set free. They are finding freedom. 
So what are your loose ends this morning? What is your unfinished business? Among the last words of Jesus from the cross were these. It is finished. It is finished. And there is, is in one sense that great final declaration by the Son of God that the plan of God for the redemption of the world is done. It's finished. But, but you know, there, there is another sense in which it's not finished. God is still working to save and to redeem and sanctify and make new the lives of other people. That, that death upon the cross was, was the completion of the plan. And Easter Sunday was the exclamation point after those words. So God's done His part, now it's our part. It, it's up to us to cooperate with His grace and in, to, to invite it into our lives. Resurrection power is available to all of us today. Amen? If Jesus lives, then Jesus still gives of Himself and of His power and of His love and of His strength. Jesus still changes lives today. And I, I did a lot of praying this week for you and me. I, I think I turned the television on twice all week, which is unusual for me. Didn't watch any news. Um, I, I wanted to be focused on Holy Week and all that this week means to be as a believer in Christ. And, and I also wanted to pray for you because I know, I know my own life and all the loose ends I've had and continue to struggle with, my own unfinished business that, that you needed. You were going to need some help. And here's, here's what blows my mind. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, he says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to all of us today. Glory to God. And so as I prayed this week for you and for this service, I prayed that this same power that raised Jesus from the dead would be released in all of your lives. And so I'm, I'm, I'm putting you to a challenge here. I'm calling you to take some action this morning. When, Paul, when uh, Peter preached that sermon out of Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, the people were so convicted, they were cut to the quick. They cried out, Brothers, what must we do? What should you do on this Easter? How should you respond to all this wonderful music and the flowers and the decorations and, and the hymns and the sermon? What should you do next after you leave this place today? Well, Peter told all those people that heard him preaching that day, he said, you repent. You change directions. You turn your life towards the Christ towards the one who was crucified and raised from the dead. You believe. You receive, if you haven't already, the gift of baptism. And you realize that this gift is, is for your children, not just for yourself. And then he says this. He says, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit of Jesus is that Spirit that brings the resurrection power. In the resurrection power of Jesus, I'm going to speak to you dads for just a moment. When you go home today, you vow 
that with the strength of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to get down on your knees every single night. You're going to pray for your children and for your family. And men, I also pray, those of you that are married, that, uh, that you will uh, ask God to give you the resurrection power of Jesus to love your wives the way Christ loved His church. You can't do that in the flesh. We don't have the strength to do that on our own. You ask Jesus to help you by His power to love your wife the way that He loves us, His church. And wives, those of you that are struggling with, with, with men that are not living up to their potential, who are not living their lives for the Lord, you get down on your knees and you ask for the resurrection power of, of Jesus to intercede for them and to pray for them and to love them and to forgive them. Open your Bible. Turn off your smartphones. Uh, soak yourself in the Word of God. Feed your faith. Maybe join a growth group or a Bible study after this week. Volunteer to serve. Begin to invest your life in the things that will change your life by His resurrection power. And finally, just this. Finally, this word. You know, when my, when my mother died last year, I, I was heartbroken. And, and it's been a hard, long journey of ups and downs, grieving her passing. But I will see her again. Because my mother knew Jesus. And I know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? You pray for the resurrection power of Jesus. If you haven't done it already in your life, that His power would save your soul. As you confess your sins to Him, as you surrender your life to Him, that He will renew you, make all things new, and give you the hope of everlasting life. I want you to take your bulletin as the musicians come for our closing song, I want you to take your bulletin, and at the top there is Romans 8.11. We're going to read this aloud together. This is truth, and this is a promise that God gives you on this Easter Sunday. Would you read this aloud with me? The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Amen.